Why? What's up? Let's go. This is the Rich Eisen Show with guest host Ryan Lee. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Who is this Dr. Dore? <laughs> the Rich Eisen Show. Mom, it's the best rap album that will ever be. Earlier on the show, Pac-12 network analyst Yogi Rock. Coming up, Kansas head coach Lance Leopold. Columnist for the MMQB. Andrew Brandt, plus from Prime Video Samaritan, actor Javon Walton. And now, sitting in for Rich, it's Ryan Leaf. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rich Eisen Show. Ryan Leaf here, filling in for Rich alongside TJ Jefferson, Michael Del Tufo on the ones and twos, and Chris Brockman leading the charge here. Uh, My next guest, uh, I've got to know uh, pretty well over the last year. Uh, I called, I think, three of their games uh, a year ago, um, and I was just incredibly impressed with the culture he was trying to build, his success in his career up to that point, and how he led young men, not only on the football field, but in life. And so I thought it would be a perfect opportunity for him to promote what he's doing in Lawrence, Kansas, with his football program. So please welcome to the show uh, Lance Leipold, head football coach for the Kansas Jayhawks. Welcome to the show, Coach Ryan Leaf here, filling for Rich. Well, great to be with you, Ryan. I appreciate the opportunity. Hope everybody's doing well. Yeah, we are. We are. We're we're excited. How how's camp going? Uh, year two for you. Had some big moments a year ago, but um, how is how's it started out there in, in Lawrence? I know it's hot as heck out there right now. <laughs> it has been warm. It's been a warm summer, but as it has been for most of the country. But uh, you know, really proud of our guys, and it's it's a night and day difference, as you could well imagine, from a year ago arriving in May to, to take over a program without having spring football. Most of the camp was a, you know, installation of, of scheme, of trying to establish, you know, cultural foundations and, and really just trying to get to know each other, player to coach and coach to player. And, and now it's just so much smoother and we have an idea of, of where we're going. And, you know, we have a lot of work to do, but our guys have really embraced it. And uh, I'm pleased where, where it's trending. I'm looking forward to to getting out there in a couple of weeks to spend a couple of days with you guys um, and and to kind of view the culture you were talking about. Right, speak to what you envision the culture of a football program coached by Lance Leipold. Well, again, I, you know, for us and and you know, I think uh, most people know that uh, you know the past 10, 12 years at the University of Kansas football has struggled and 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 trying to change a culture of attitude and and results is is not going to be an overnight thing. And, and what we talk about is daily improvement and focus on what we can do. But within the culture is, is you know, culture's action. It's not, not a bunch of uh, slogans or some words you throw up on a wall. You, you've got to act it. You've you got to do it. And, and uh, a lot of those things have to do with being coachable, how we work, how we give back to our community, embrace the opportunity that has been given to us. And, and at the end of the day, are, are we putting it all out there that we can be the best version of ourselves each and every day? And, and if our guys are doing it, what more can I ask of them and, our, and what can our coaches ask of them? So, and I think as we slowly look at it and instead of getting ourselves too much worried about yesterday or worrying about tomorrow, if when we do these little things, I, I think our, our team has been able to, uh, to embrace that. I, I think we saw that the last three weeks of the season. And we've tried to build upon that here as we've gone through the offseason, now the early part of camp. We're speaking with head coach, Kansas Jayhawks football program, uh, Lance Leipold here on the Mercedes-Benz Vans phone line. 
Uh, one of the one of the neat uh, parts of last season was, of course, the OT the overtime win at Texas. Right, Jared Casey, your tight end, uh, had never caught a ball before. Uh, speak to how much of a catapult that was for all the work that your team had put in all year long because you'd only won one game up to that point but to go to texas at austin to do that and stick with it and play the way you did the next two weeks against tcu in west virginia just kind of talk about that a little bit well i i think you hit on some key points there as you know and, and from from your own days of, of playing and and anyone that's been through it and when you watch whether it be college or professional sports when when you get to that later part of the season in november and and, you know, I mentioned earlier the struggles of this program, a transition that happens late and you're one and eight and you're going to one of the blue blood programs of college football. There's a lot of times young men will just play out the slate and, and sometimes it's not a, everything that you want as far as intensity and focus goes. And for us to go down there and, and play and have some early success in that game, much like we did against Oklahoma at home in October, I was so proud we were able to, to get some momentum and gain some confidence and to see the guys, first of all, believe in one another, battle. Texas made it, you know, battled back, put it into overtime, and but to see the really the joy and just like any time you have a big win and the, and then you could even embrace more that the locker room was starting to believe, believe in one another, believe in the really the you know the structure and the plan of what we were putting together and. And they went out and they practiced like that the last two games that we came up short. Again, you could see us starting to narrow gaps and, and things that, you know, within our, you know, between us and our opponents and uh, was really proud of it. And, and then as we headed into the offseason program, starting after the first of the year, you could see an extra sense of enthusiasm and attention to detail. And then first day of spring practice, the level and volume of communication and confidence had started to rise. And all those things are, are part of that uh, step-by-step uh, approach that, that's going to be needed here. I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, um, ask you about, you know, uh, the way that uh, the Big 12, the Pac-12, uh, the organizations uh, of these conferences are, are moving about, what that means for your program. As a head coach with a team that, uh, in an instance where you can't control a lot of that, how do you how do you address that with your team when you know it, it affects uh, your conference here at some point? Yeah, you, you know, I say uh, you know it was right around May, you know, first or third or something was was the press conference when I took the job, and um, if you look at the a month later or the 14 months since then, college football has changed immensely, whether it be Texas and Oklahoma headed into the SEC, NIL, and then now with UCLA and USC heading to the Big Ten and realignment and everything else that, that's kind of going with that. You know, within the locker room, our, our players don't say much, you know, about that, at least towards coaches. They understand that we have work to do. But I think holistically you have to look at it as, um, you know, what's going to change. You know, we have four new members going to join us next year. Um, those are some exciting things, but we have to continue to work hard, put out a, a winning program, a winning product that's going to get our alumni and our fans and our students excited about it, that we have to make improvements facility-wise and doing things that's going to establish us to be a consistent winner in the Big 12 Conference. 
And as as we know, then, again, as all the rumors and other things go, you let other people above me kind of handle that. We know we have a blue blood outstanding national championship basketball program, and we want to try to do our part here at the University of Kansas to make sure that uh, people know a lot about our university and program. Uh, spending so much time with you guys a year ago calling a few of your games, uh, I got to sit in on those coaches' meetings, not only with you, but with some of your coordinators. And one of the biggest takeaways I had was from your offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki, uh, and his approach. It, it I, I remember walking out of that first meeting and thinking, that guy's going to be an offensive coordinator for an NFL program at some point. Just the mindset that he had. Speak to, to your staff, because um, it's incredibly important in building a culture and making a change uh, at a university like that and how, how they've come along with you as well. Yeah, Andy does an excellent job as the offensive coordinator. He, you know, very detailed, very focused, studies the game well, uses our personnel groupings and our talent to the best. We have enough, uh, you know, we're a multiple offense that's still going to use the zone schemes and that, but we're going to use the different personnels to our strengths, and we're not kind of pigeonholed into one scheme, first of all. But Andy's Andy's been with me for 10 years now, um, which I'm very fortunate we're at, uh, Wisconsin Whitewater for, for uh, the last two years of my time there. Andy joined us, and then six years in Buffalo now, now second year here. Brian Borland, our defensive coordinator, going on year 16 together. We're together the whole time at Whitewater, Buffalo, now here. And, and I, you know, it says a lot about them, their humility, their dedication, their loyalty, and their belief in how we go about doing things. And I think programs like Kansas, like Buffalo, when we got there, Staff stability and continuity and being on the same page is so critical when you're trying to climb the ladder that you're not rotating coaches in and out every year and the players are getting different messages. Just quickly, Ryan, you know, our left tackle, and I think you knew this last year, Earl Bosick went has had nine position coaches. He's on year six. He's had nine position coaches. Well, how do you know? How do you trust? How do you, right. this guy told me this way, you know that. And, and it's just so difficult. And now we've been able to keep that with these coaches and they've been able to, you know, help reinforce culture and expectations. I, I think that's really going to help us as we move down the road. So I hope Andy doesn't go too quickly to that next level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's fun to, fun to watch him uh, orchestrate that offense. Um, last question here. Before I go, speaking with uh, Lance Leipold, head football coach at Kansas University of Kansas, um, the, when people think of the University of Kansas, right, they think of the the Jayhawks, the basketball program, right? National champions a year ago. Uh, Bill Self, head football or head basketball coach. I think a lot of people would look at that in terms of uh, of a situation as maybe difficult from a football aspect of things. I, I, I would think maybe you've taken a different approach and seen it as a positive in how you go about your recruiting because of a great basketball program and what that can mean for a football program there as well. Absolutely. I think mean, that's a great point. You know, um, even at Buffalo, I kind of referred to Bobby Hurley was a basketball coach. When I first got the job there, Nate Oates, now to Alabama. I, I embrace that. I, I think I can learn a lot. I think that helps with atmosphere and recruiting. I think, obviously, expectations, tradition, and culture within that program of, of reaching high levels is, is something that you, you, uh, you know, strive to obtain. Um, I've said this many times in different places, you know, they're not on our schedule. They are not the opponent, okay? And, and sometimes, you, you know, I've, I've been a part of some uh, 
departments where it gets so competitive for dollars and attention, it becomes distracting. And, and, and for me, I, I think for where we're at and the success of our program, we're, yeah, we're going to fly under the radar a little bit and go do our thing and, and try to get this built in, in the right way that we can put ourselves in position to be in bowl games. All righty. Well, I look forward to getting out to Lawrence. Hopefully you put it, uh, uh, cool it down a little bit here for me when I, uh, when I come in there in a couple of weeks. Um, we'll definitely do so. <laughs> thanks for taking the time with us today, Coach. We really appreciate it. No problem, Ryan. Good to hear you. Appreciate the opportunity and all the best to you and your listeners. Take care now. Lance Leipold, everybody, head football coach for Kansas Jayhawks, right? Uh, over the last um, five seasons – one and eleven, three and nine, three and nine, zero oh and nine. Last year, two and ten. Right? Um, it's it's difficult, right? In a, in a world of have and have nots, they've mm-hmm. certainly been there. But I've always felt that when you find the right guy, the right coach to fit that position, um, you change the culture. And he's been a winner wherever he's won. Uh, wherever he's been, right? Once, what, six national championships at Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, one at Buffalo. Um, I believe he has a chance here. Um, what I saw last year and the improvement this team made, uh, we'll see. Uh, they got to play in the Big 12 uh, at West Virginia week two. I think I might have that call. Ooh. So uh, that Morgantown, you know. Know, country roads. Let's see where that where that leads. Yeah, and it's tough to go to a spot that traditionally hasn't been a success. Right, you know, they haven't they, been to a bowl game since 2008. Yeah, they haven't had a winning record since 2008. So you go into a spot and it's been 15 years, and you're just you know you're trying to build something and create a new culture, and that's no easy task. I wonder what goes into the mindset of a coach. I suppose when you've, I wouldn't say languished in Division Three and Division Two and in in the Group of Five, but what makes you take a job like this, right? I mean, one that you know is going to be a very tough right. tough go of things, right? To put yourself in that position, I think it takes a, a guy with a ton of humility and knowing that, hey, I, you know, I'm just going to do what I've always done. I'm going to control what I can control. And um, we're going to have a string of, of co- head football coaches from the collegiate level here this week, uh, all from programs that uh, uh, have had me out to speak or are having me out to speak to their, their teams this this year, uh, it's neat to make these relationships and build those. And I'm glad he's gotten the opportunity to come on Rich's show here to talk about his program because I do think, you know, in a world where money rules everything right now, there's still something to to character and integrity in, in a game that I still look for for innocence. Mm-hmm. There's an innocence that may be naive on my part because of the pageantry and the legacy and the history, but I still I still find there's some innocence in collegiate football and uh and lance leipold certainly upholds that so um when we come back uh andrew brandt is going to join us i have a ton of questions for him around the sean watson situation the contracts uh, that are going on and a big one i want to ask him about in terms of what a gm does with how the wide receiver position is being paid i mean it is gangbusters right now and i don't understand it because the numbers don't add up in terms of championships with a guy that you pay at the wide receiver position that much. We'll talk to him next here on the Rich Eisen Show. I'm Ryan Lee filling in for Rich. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, I'm just not myself. You know the deal. 
you know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So Sleep Number helps me. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rich Eisen Show. Ryan Leaf here filling in for Rich uh, for the rest of the week. Um, great show so far. Um, excited for our next guest. Um, he has been many things in the NFL. Uh, general manager for the Green Bay Packers during the time with Brett Favre and, and Aaron Rodgers and has been a constant uh, um, part of education for me and it's where he lives in now as a, as a, as a professor of law. Um, welcome to the show, Mr. Andrew Brandt on the Mercedes-Benz fans phone line. Andrew, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Ryan. Always good to be with you. And as I say before, we met uh, way before you knew who I was. I was <laughs> rep- representing Ricky Williams and met you at Disney when uh, you guys were all getting the awards way back in 1998 or not. Yep. I forget when that was. Yep. Yeah. Long time. Um, I, I've been really uh, interested to get your take on, you know, I've watched you po- post some things on Twitter and talk about it uh, in your uh, in your newsletter. And and the biggest thing I, I've come away with is how how was Deshaun Watson's agent able to leverage this situation with a guy that was carrying so much baggage in so that he got the largest guaranteed contract ever this summer yeah i mean there's a lot to unpack here obviously about the suspension and where things are going but you bring up the point that still stuns me i've been following this a long time 30 something years between being an agent running a team and being a media analyst and professor never seen a contract like this in the sport ever this is a contract you see in the nba this is a contract you see 
in Major League Baseball. We've never seen one like this in football, ever. And what strikes me so much thinking about this is that this was achieved in part, and maybe even in large part, by his own misconduct. By his own misconduct. Think about that. He put himself in a position where his team did not want him. They did not want him. The Houston Texans did not want him. And by the way, he didn't want them either. Right. So it became an auction. It became an auction. First, they got to pre-qualify the trade. And they had three or four teams, I think four, willing to give up three number ones and whatever else. Then they could negotiate. And if you remember, I think everyone listening remembers, at one point, the Browns were out. They were out. He's a Southern kid. It was the Saints and Falcons and maybe the Panthers. And the Browns were a distant fourth. But <laughs> I'll never forget the moment with Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter. I'm like, is this real? Right. The Browns were not only back in, but they they got him. And you sort of read through the lines, and the way they got him was the contract. Because it's like, okay, it looks like they handed a piece of paper to the agent and said, fill it out. Because it's got the $46 million a year. That's obviously the best ever. It's got the full guarantee. No one's gotten that. I mean, Kirk Cousins got three years. This is five years. And then the clause everyone talks about, which is first year, minimum salary, $1 million. That's the only money subject to suspension. That's the rules. The only suspension forfeiture comes out of salary, not bonus. And lo and behold, $45 million bonus, which has written in the contract no forfeiture of bonus due to suspension. So it was written in a way that protects Watson more than any player's been protected. And we haven't even talked about what he came into this deal with, the circumstances that everyone's talking about. And then I get back to where I started, in part due to his own misconduct. He created the perfect storm for this contract. It is absolutely unbelievable that we're at this position. I have another question, too, around the legality of things, especially there's been some there's been some uh, discussion around if uh, the appeals um, judge comes back with a harsher sentence and it's something that Mm -hmm. the Deshaun camp doesn't like, um, are they able to do similarly to what is, you know, what Zeke and Tom Brady were able to do and then try to go file an injunction. So uh, there's a restraining order of sorts to stop it from, from happening immediately. And he can go play. I've heard two different scenarios that that's Mm -hmm. not a possibility with this situation. And it is, is there a chance any chance anywhere that, that we could see Deshaun Watson uh, in those first couple weeks of the season this year? Yeah, Ryan, I'm a lawyer. I'm a law professor. I'm not a litigation lawyer, so I don't have the true expertise in this. The way I see it is if Watson's team, which is his individual lawyers and the union, try to take this out of the arbitration system, the one thing I'm sure of is that when it eventually reaches an appeals court, as Brady, as Elliot, as Adrian Peterson, they will lose. They will lose. So whatever happens, before we get to whether he can play week one, he will eventually lose. That's settled law because these courts defer 
two arbitration systems. They don't want to deal with this stuff if it's written in a CBA. Yeah. But in terms of whether he can play, the way I look at it is has his team, his collective bargaining unit, the union, agreed on a six-game suspension. They put out a statement saying they accept the six-game suspension. So any preliminary injunction to stop further suspension would start after game six. That's the way I read it. I'm sure their lawyers say, well, the new appeal decision, say it's 12 games or 16 games, will replace the six games. I don't know if I read it that way. Right. But let's see what happens. It would be... uh, I've been pretty strong uh, on what the Cleveland Browns did this year and the way Jimmy Haslam went about it and how he... um, probably upset a lot of owners around the league because of it but yeah. for as talented as a team as they are bringing something into your hemisphere like this with the distractions with everything that goes with it trying to prepare two quarterback two quarterbacks to play possibly when here there or, or nowhere I, I i just don't see how a team can compartmentalize like this especially a team like the cleveland browns has had so much turmoil and so much disappointment over the their franchise's career i mean i think players probably compartmentalize it unless they're always asked about it uh you know there is this weird rule in the nfl that's gone back decades which even as a general manager i never really understood it which is if you're facing suspension you can practice like yeah, I don't know what's the magic of September 1, where Deshaun Watson will magically disappear from the Browns. It just seems to me that he should disappear now. But again, that's, that's the role he can practice and play in preseason games. But yeah, I would think it's a distraction. And I just tweeted out exactly what you said, that these owners are meeting today. And that, that is a, a topic. And I'm sure they're all upset at Jimmy Haslam. But like I said, it was a money deal. I just wonder, and maybe we'll never know, where the Saints and the Falcons' choking point was. In other words, would they have done a deal like this but for giving them the bonus, I'm sorry, the suspension-free bonus? Or would they have done the full guarantee? Or what what stopped them? Because I have no doubt he wanted to play for one of those teams. Right. And and the money just was too good in Cleveland. The decision... uh... And before we get you out of here, just continuing on with, sure. with that. I, I, I've been doing um, some research around um, the, the amount of money that's being handed to these wide receivers this, this offseason. Yeah. It, it is um, precedent-setting. Um, and, and there are teams that have shown that we are willing to pay a bag to a wide receiver, and there's teams that have said that who have offloaded them to the other team that we're not willing to do that. You look back since like 2014 – in terms of cap percentage for a wide receiver, a number one wide receiver, the Super Bowl champion hasn't had a high cap number guy. Mainly they found one in the draft and they've been able to live with him on a rookie contract, but not one who's gone out in free agency and paid a big time wide receiver. Why do you feel that's changed in the mindsets of some of these general managers? Have coaches been more influential in terms of where the offenses are going? It just seems to... I, I'm not a big proponent of paying guys that much money or that much of a percentage of your cap number to a wide receiver. I'd look elsewhere in terms of a guy who protects the quarterback, the quarterback, and the guy that rushes the quarterback. 
I tend to feel the way you do. That is a position that and I think the biggest story of 2022 is not Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. I think the biggest story of 2022 is the transformation of the wide receiver marketplace in two parts. I can understand the Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup level, even Christian Kirk, who's a who's free agent, because those guys have skins on the wall. Those guys are known as top veteran players. The one that shook the market in my mind was A.J. Brown, because now you're dealing with a guy in a rookie contract. Yep. And the Titans made the decision that they'll go, they'll recycle the rookie. They'll take Traylon Burks, and once it's time to pay A.J. Brown, which they couldn't do, they'll go for something else. And when Brown got the $25 million average for the uh, extension years, that opened up the floodgates. Because now Terry McLaurin, now Debo Samuel, now DK Metcalf can go to their teams and say, we're not talking about Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. We're talking about someone in my draft class. That's different. So then it was only a matter of time for those other three players to get paid, and they all basically have the same contract, all four of those guys. And now Brown's the only one that left, but... That's an interesting phenomenon. So now, you know, a, a fourth-year rookie contract receiver has great ammunition. Yep. And we're going to find out. I mean, we're going to find out where, especially the Chiefs and Packers, because they took draft picks and cap space over their superstar receiver. And these receivers left Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes for lesser quarterbacks and lesser teams. So we're going to find out. Yeah. It's going to be a good experiment. I think it is too. I, I'm I'm really anxious to see where this goes because of of where I think the the position is in terms of of where you um, put your put your money um, for your cap space. So, Andrew, thank you again for for being a part of it. You always make me feel more educated about what I'm talking about. Chris Brockman has a quick question for you before we let you go. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, hey Andrew, always always appreciate hey. you coming on. Um, just with the news of today, like, what do you make of Roquan Smith, his trade request, and how teams are going to be paying linebackers going forward? Well, let me say first, hold ins have worked, right? So in my day, it was holdouts, and holdouts never worked. Hold ins work. You come to camp, you do the true Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I don't get fined, and you don't practice. It worked for Jalen Ramsey. It worked for. T.J. Watt and worked for the guys we just talked about this year. Worked for Samuel and Metcalf and Deontay Johnson. It hasn't worked for Smith. So what I didn't even know till today is that he's representing himself. Right. He tweeted out some things that a veteran agent would say, which is this deal may sound good if it's backloaded and it's full of all these uh, de-escalators, which a player of his caliber never should have to take. So the hold-in is not working because the Bears aren't negotiating at a top level. I think he's embarrassed the Bears. I just wonder if they're going to step up and pay him a market deal because trading him, I, will, I don't know how you trade your best player. They're just, they're just, they just can't do that. So this is an interesting one to watch. I think it's fascinating that Roquan has enough savvy to sort of recognize the deficiencies of that deal. Yeah, the Chicago Bears are in for a roller coaster of a season i feel like uh, uh it should be fun to watch in that division a division you were a part of for for some time um andrew again thanks for joining uh i'll be on the lookout for 
for everything that you put out there. Um, Andrew Brandt, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Well, he's he's really good at uh, making it simple in my mind so I can understand it. I think that's what he does really well, right? I have questions around the legality of everything. Um, the way I had heard it is that there there's no way that Deshaun Watson can play early. Um, first off, I don't. No one believes he'll get the injunction. But secondly, I don't think he's uh, availed to it if if he gets a longer uh, suspension when this happens. I don't know if you guys remember last time I was here, but I talked about in terms of precedent and what Major League Baseball did with Trevor Bauer, mm-hmm. right? A guy that had uh, a civil one civil um, assault allegation, no criminal charges filed. There were photos, there were text messages, things like that, that helped evidentiary-wise, but two full-year suspension by Major League Baseball, right? And I, I used that as an example of what the NFL was possibly looking for in terms of what they expected, the amount of accusations and what that meant. And I thought early on that he was going to be gone for the entirety of this season. So when the six-game suspension came down from the initial arbitrator, I was, I was shocked, especially with the language that was in her decision, right? Egregious, predatory, um, no remorse, no accountability, those types of things. And I think that's where, you know, Roger Goodell, now, it, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not any bit a fan of Roger Goodell or the NFL, right? I just, you know, I think they... They are what they are. They're a money-making machine and an institution and a propaganda machine. They're going to do what they do. But there is something to, to this. There's a double standard, of course, because Robert Kraft got none of this um, spotlight. Um, Daniel Snyder, for the spotlight outside of it, certainly hasn't gotten it from the NFL. Uh, so as players and as a union of the players, you have to be stringent with your backing of one of your players in this moment. That's, this is exactly the reason you are a part of a union and the NFLPA is supposed to have your back in this. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out, but I wouldn't expect this Cleveland Browns team to see Deshaun Watson anytime this season. Uh, and if you do, you're going to have a, your season's going to be a, a very difficult one. You have a really good opportunity in those first four weeks. If jo- Jacoby Brissett can play well enough, but when he's splitting time right now with Deshaun Watson, which I think is absolutely absurd you got to get the guy ready who's going to be your starter because those first five out of six games are winnable. They're not beating these guys, all right? Not beating <laughs> these guys. But those first five out of six games, they are winnable for this team because there's enough talent. And if you don't have the guy ready to roll, right, if you're not getting Joshua Dobbs and Josh Rosen ready because if Jacoby Brissett right. goes down, those two are going to have to play. So... The fact that Deshaun Watson's on the football field taking away first-team reps from Jacoby Brissett right now I think is putting and doing your, your club a disservice. And if you're Kevin Stefanski, I mean, the guy talks about it in glowing terms of having Deshaun Watson and what's it mean. But, I mean, you got you to... Gotta, Kevin Stefanski's the type of guy that he may love the idea to, to have Deshaun Watson as his quarterback, but he can't love being put in this position right now no, when Jimmy Haslam came and said, here you go, you know, deal with this. It's just... It's so, it's so Cleveland, you know. I, I hate to say it. There's systemic issues when we talk about teams. I may be a guy that 
as cliche with that with some of these teams. Until I see something different, I'm always going to feel the same way about something. What do you guys think? Do you think Deshaun plays this year? I, in a weird way, do. I think it ends up getting doubled to 12 games. So he's back in week, what, 13 or 14, depending on when their bye week is. And then, you know, he plays the last few games of the season. And then the Browns, Cleveland, they all hope it just kind of goes away and we forget about it as we head into 2023. But where the team could be after 12 games this year, are they 4-8? and eight? Are they 500 at best? And then Deshaun comes in to try to win out to get you into the playoffs? I, I just don't see a situation where... Cleveland, who started the offseason with so much hopes. They had better Super Bowl odds than the Bengals, who were in the game last year. I just don't see them being any type of factor this year to, to contend. Let's look at that schedule again. Um, the, the first six games I was talking about, right? At Carolina, which is a huge one, because it could be against Baker Mayfield, right? The Jets, they're coming off a tough year. Lose Mekhi Becton. That's a winnable game. Pittsburgh, we don't quite know who their quarterback's going to be, right? It's at home. Uh, they always play well against Pittsburgh at home. On they, Thursday, it's a short week. Short week at Atlanta. Atlanta's in rebuilding mode. You know, against the Chargers. Okay, that's they're not winning that game. Uh, and then New England, which is something we'll get into probably next segment. I want to talk about New England a little bit. I mean, the conversation around Mac Jones and the offensive system there uh, is is a little bit disturbing. As a as a Patriots fan, I'm assuming you are. The, are you reading tea leaves or are you just you're not, waiting to see it really play out? Not not great, Bob. At the moment, not great. I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right. So look at those first six weeks. Right. Five of those six are winnable. I would say. Um, now, can they do it with Jacoby Brissett? We'll see. But I guarantee you, right now, he should be getting the reps, and not Deshaun Watson. So. We'll see how it all plays out. Let's get into that a little bit. Let's get into the, your New England Patriots and some of the conversation pieces that have been happening over the last few days. Who is going to be the offensive coordinator? How is Mac Jones going to develop? Is he going to be protected? Does he have the weapons? All of those things. Are the Patriots now resigned to the fact that it was Tom Brady and not Bill Belichick? And its team is now heading towards the cellar of the AFC East. We'll find out next here on the Rich Eisen Show. I'm Ryan Lee, filling in for Rich. We'll be right back. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices make sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase. So all the guests were is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for twenty dollars off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Rich Eisen Show. Ryan Leaf here filling in for Rich alongside TJ Jefferson, Michael Del Tufo, Chris Brockman. Uh, just spoke with Andrew Brandt around the Cleveland situation. What do you guys feel about the question I asked him? I'd love to get your opinion around uh, seeing wide receivers get the bag of money this year, especially ones, like he pointed out, on rookie contracts still, right? Um, I went back and did some research since 2014. No Super Bowl champion has had a wide receiver number one as high. uh, I think they've been like fifth or sixth down the line in terms of cap allocation to their roster. And now that's going to change significantly if there is a team that wins it. There hasn't been Cooper Cup. If they go back and win it this year, that would be a a different scenario, right? Because he got that bag of money. But um, you guys all know that during the draft time, I've talked about who you pay, who you draft, who you pay. If you can find a wide receiver in in the draft, go do it because you get them for – just look at the the Tennessee Titans scenario. They trade away A.J. Brown the night of the draft, draft a guy named Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. Very similar type. Very similar um, spot. The amount of money that A.J. Brown's making in year one is the entire contract of Traylon Burks in Tennessee. So this is a decision that's being made by teams. And I loved his point about what does Kansas City look like? What does Green Bay look like with, with getting rid of two of the best wide receivers in all the league and drafting Sky Moore and Christian Watson? Those are the two guys that are going to replace it. Turns out Romeo Dobbs may be the actual one that fills in yeah. who's looking really special in, in Green Bay. I covered him a bunch in Nevada. Oh boy, he was he was something special there. But what's your guys' thought process on, on the amount of money in the marketplace that has just been cracked by the wide receiver position this year? TJ, maybe you could speak on this too uh, after, I, after I talk here. But we're very pro guys getting paid. Oh, so you, am I. I'm so pro for Absolutely. Guys. Yes. You go out and get your money. You have earned it. You have worked hard to this point. You deserve every single dollar that you get. It doesn't mean that's going to help your team win. Right. You know, as we've seen in the past, like, I think, I don't know if we're still waiting on a quarterback who has kind of broken the bank for that team to go on and win the Super Bowl. I don't know if that's really happened maybe only once in the last decade or so. But I just think if you look at these situations, man, that's just a lot of money. I'm wondering if like wide receivers are going to be like running backs where it's just the way the offenses are and how complex they are, the way these coaches are able to scheme up guys and get them in space and, and really maximize their potential and what their skill set is. You can kind of just plug in place like everybody. Look, look, look what New England did for a very long time. Uh, they were able to just use any type of running back. Corey Dillon was kind of the best running back they really had. Uh, during the Super Bowl runs that they had in the, the first go-around and the second go-around. They never really had a top-flight wide receiver. Uh, they weren't paying Randy Moss all, all you know, a bunch of money. A bunch of money. No. He was on a very team-favorable, friendly deal. He was also looking to prove something, but they never actually won a Super Bowl with Randy Moss. And so, you know, you just look at these teams. I'm wondering, Green Bay never won when they... Is, 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 uh, is Are the Raiders going to be a favorite now? Rich loves the Raiders, but do they think, are they really going to win a Super Bowl? They play in a division where they may not even get out of it. Probably not. I, I'm not sure. It's just, I don't know if paying all these guys, all this money ever really translates to winning. It's the quarterbacks. It's the left tackles. It's the defensive backs. It's defensive ends. It's the defensive ends. Those are the guys who get paid, and those, those are the teams that end up winning who, who pay those players the top dollar. I, I'm, I'm, Miami is such an interesting microcosm of what the marketplace is about right because to your point the running back room is full of solid players but it's hugely by committee right right just 
just huge. And that could be really positive for him. But they still have a quarterback on a rookie deal, and they have a new head coach, but they have a really, really good defensive back, and then they paid all this money to Tyreek Hill. Yep. Is that going to translate to wins? I have no idea. Well, that leads us to your division, the AFC East, right? What happens to the AFC East? Buffalo clearly at the top of that right now, of that food chain, right? They've, they've developed. They continue to yeah, improve. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I, I believe they're, uh, they're my Super Bowl uh, pick this year. To win it? To win it. Okay. Um, of course, everything has to play out. They have to stay out. They were my pick last year, though, too. So, like, nothing's changed. I, mean, I had made that, the Final Four. I think it's totally fine. 13 seconds away from, you know, my bigger question with, with Buffalo is how, have the, how has that coaching staff addressed it? Because they you well, they got the rule changed. That's you, how that's how they address. You it. fully <laughs> understand one thing though in this is that they, in the face of all of the stress and and pressure and everything, they faltered, and they really haven't taken too much accountability for it. Now maybe they have in the rooms with their players, mm-hmm. but that's something that had to be addressed because what happens now when that type of they, they proved that in the most stressful press uh, pressure filled situation. They choked because they could have done so many different things with those 13 seconds. Right. And they would have, you know, what would you do in that moment? Well, everybody's like, well, what would you do? I mean, all that pressure is like that. Yeah, but that's what they're getting paid all that money for. <laughs> that's what the money's for. That's what the head coach, <laughs> head coach and everybody's supposed to be about that system. Apparently there was a miscommunication. All the things. That has to be worked out before this team can be any, any good. If they have psychological uh, trauma from that, it, it could be a long year. Now the question is, who falls after them, right? Last year, it was Mac Jones in New England getting back to the playoffs. They were embarrassed fully in the wild card round yep. up at Buffalo. But now Miami, who's been on the precipice with Brian Flores the last few years uh, of getting into the playoffs, are they a team that adds Tyreek Hill? You have Jalen Waddell in year two, a running back room, a new head coach. What does that mean? Is this a team now that, uh, who's always had pretty good success against the likes of New England, are they the team that now makes the jump over New England? You made a comment to me during the break around how could uh, New England fall to the seller of the AFC East when they have the second best quarterback in, 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 the, in the division. I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you on that. Um, question is, with all the concerns coming out of New England camp this last week around who's going to be calling offensive plays, what that's looked like, and what Mac Jones has looked like in this offense, especially in 11-11 drills, over the last week where is your biggest concerns as a fan first and then as maybe an analyst in terms of what they need to do and uh, to be successful well as a, as a fan i'm ready to fire everybody right you know what i mean it's, yeah. just, it's, it's just a fan's kind of knee-jerk reaction you're seeing the tweets from tom kern and mike reese and these guys who cover the team that mac jones is on his butt every or they it would be on his butt every single play they can't block anyone uh we're dropping passes where the routes aren't crisp it's like it seems like it's the worst case scenario and it's a disaster. And I guess that's going to come and I, it should be expected here in the first week of August when you have new coaches in place. You lose one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL, Josh McDaniels, who's now head coach in, in Las Vegas, as, as we talked about. You lose him, who was right there with Mac Jones the whole time during his rookie year, not asking Mac to really win the game, just manage the game, make a play or two here. To, to help us get a victory, but we're going to rely on the run game. New England had a really good defense last year. I expect the defense to be as good this season. But as a fan, it's just super frustrating because, like, you see Mac Jones. He was the best rookie in the rookie class, quarterback in the rookie class last year. You expect him to make another kind of second-year leap like we've seen 
Justin Herbert make, Joe Burrow make in the last two seasons, and you're excited uh, in that aspect. Spent a lot of money in free agency. You get Devontae Parker in here, a big physical receiver who could be a number one, which the team hasn't had in a long time. And then you read all these tweets from the guys at practice, and it just seems the sky is falling. So that's super frustrating. Uh, I guess as a quote-unquote analyst, I'm just going to wait and see how it is. I want to see how they look in the preseason. I want to see how guys progress between now and the end of the month before I really decide the sky is falling, this team is going 6-10, and 10, or, hey, there's some, uh, there's some bright spots. We could go 9-8, and 10-7, and 7 and kind of sneak into the playoffs again. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, I, I, have a, I haven't been buoyed by what, what we've been hearing. Uh, I'm, I'm still a huge Bill Belichick fan, and I believe that with his influence and how he's gone about his business, he's going to find a way to, to field the team and make them competitive, especially in this division. So we'll see. We'll see where, where Chris Brockman is in, in let's say, week three, week four, uh, when everything's... <laughs> I'm sure I'll be rational about all of it. <laughs> very rational, very rational. Uh, next hour, we'll get more into the NFL side of things. Uh, um, Javon Walton will join us at 1120 as well. We'll be right back here on the Rich Eisen Show. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's always in Bill we trust, right? But he's always been a defense guy. He's talking with the defense. He's not even really paying attention to the offense because Josh kind of had that covered. Right. And now you hear Bill is like with the offensive, with the wide receivers. He's with the quarter. He's, he's doing all this other stuff with the offense. And you're just like, okay. I, I don't. What I don't. is Matt Patricia and Joe Judge doing? Right. I don't for a moment either. Um, think that Bill Belichick having conversations with these guys is a bad thing. A guy, no, never. The guy has knows so much football. You know, when you're a defensive coordinator for most of your career and a defensive mind, you know what offensive players do that gives you the most problems. Right. So a lot of times, defensive coaches, and I feel like that he may feel this way in terms of when you have Matt Patricia, who was a wonderful defensive coordinator for him during his tenure there. Not in the Super Bowl, but that's another. Thing. Yeah, not in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he knows, he knows he, he can flat out and go, this is what worked against me. I know that. Right. Right. And those, in that Super Bowl. Um, but if it, you're telling me that guy's never called plays before. Suddenly Matt Patricia is going to call the plays this year. Yeah. I don't, I don't get that at all. Like you, uh, I don't, I, understand. You, you don't know that you don't know the, the language. You don't know, um, you know, the conversation piece. I, I don't, how do you not go out and find an offensive coordinator? How is that? How does that happen there? I just also don't get bringing back. I mean, they, they were good coordinators. Joe Judge was a special teams coach, and Matt Patricia was a defensive coordinator or whatever Bill called him. But you bring these like failed head coaches back in your system, and now you're putting them in charge of the offense with a young quarterback who's looking to make a big leap in year two after he had a really good rookie season. I just don't understand that as a as a fan from a fan's perspective. Yeah, it's it's difficult to to see things like that. I mean, I, I think back to my second. They know more football than we do, obviously. So maybe they do. You know, but and it's their team. My second year going into the NFL, right? Um, you know, Kevin Gilbride had been fired. June Jones took the Hawaii job. Uh, you know, general manager Bobby Beathard at the time chose to bring in a guy by the name of Mike Riley, who had never had a winning season at uh, Oregon State. I mean, you had a guy just down the down the road at Washington State who had coached me. I mean, if you're going to take a guy from the Pac-10 who's had success and who knew the offense to, to better your team, why wouldn't you go with that guy? Right. You know. And of course, we understand how that worked out. I mean, I was I was a huge part of the problem. Don't get me wrong, but but still, you wonder why you you make this types of types of decisions. All right, we'll be back here to the Rich Eisen show here on Peacock. I'm Ryan Lee filling in for Rich. We'll be right back.